like to open your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 2 this morning, verses 2 through 20. And uh, if you'd like to use one of the pew Bibles in front of you in the rack, it's on page 785. Page 785, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastes to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? and saying, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation, and he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath at all in it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your sovereignty in our lives. We thank you that you are over everything that uh, passes through our lives, Father. Your hand is upon us from beginning to end. 
We pray for Pastor Toby now as he comes and teaches to us this morning. Father, that our ears will be attentive, that your Holy Spirit will minister in our lives by applying the word. And we'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name. It is woefully true that many who will stand to preach today and say that they are preaching the gospel will make no mention of the wrath of God, the punishment for sin, of the justice of God. And yet it is crucial for us to understand we all want justice. We all want this land to be a just land, this nation to be a just nation. But the reality is, is that no matter how skilled, how much integrity there, are, there is in human beings, human justice can only do so much. It can never fully satisfy. I just saw a, a story on the news this last week, as I was just turning it off to go to bed, I don't typically watch the evening news, but I just was turning it off to go to bed, and it turns out that a nurse from here in Indianapolis drove, this is about two years ago, drove 200 miles to Lexington, broke into a house, stabbed a six-year-old boy who died, and he was convicted just this last week of assault. Now, according to the letter of the law, that this may be, I, I don't know the details of the case, but I can tell you that there's just something unsatisfying about that. Actually, there'd be something unsatisfied if he was just convicted of murder and even sentenced to death and even the death penalty carried out, there's still a sense of... Uh, Some may propose, oh, well, the death penalty gives closure. Well, not if you ask the families of victims, it doesn't. No matter what the parents of victims in school shootings do to try to improve uh, uh, legislation or the nation or whatever form of trying to do better in the future that those families may seek to do, you know what it'll never do? It'll never bring back the child. That loss is still there, and there's nothing that fully satisfies about human justice. But we long for closure, don't we? We long for it. We long for justice. We long for things to be set right. We long for evil to be dealt with, to be done away with, to get its just desserts. And that is especially true of those who suffer at the hands of evil. And yet we look around and evil only seems to flourish. It seems that one evil thing is just swallowed up by a greater evil thing, doesn't it? And evil just gets greater and greater. And it burdens us. Because that's how the world feels. And actually that's how the world felt to the prophet Habakkuk as well. Just to catch you up, at the beginning of this prophecy, he complains to God about the wickedness in Judah, in the southern kingdom that remained. 
after the northern kingdom had been destroyed. The southern kingdom just picked up the baton of evil and carried it on. And Habakkuk complains to God and says, where are you? Are you just, are you just sitting there? Are you just going to sit there and watch this? Are you not going to do something about this? And God says, I am doing something about it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to do something about it. Oh, the Chaldeans. Wait. The Chaldeans? These bloodthirsty, murdering, raping, plundering, destroying, conquering Chaldeans? More evil? One evil just swallowing up another? And so Habakkuk responds, um, You are God. You are from everlasting. You are holy. So what are you going to do then? You know, when, when these evil people are swallowed up by those evil people, what, what are you going to do then? How long will that go on? What about their evil? And God answers, and this is where Jim's reading began. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That's where we stopped last week. Wait and see, God says. Trust me, God says. Live by faith, God says. In the midst of what you cannot possibly comprehend about the unfolding purposes of God, walk by faith. If they were to look back in the rearview mirror of history, they would see that God had not failed to bring judgments along the way. He may be slow to anger, but he is not never to anger. He may be patient, but his patience will run out. In the rest of chapter 2, God pulls back the curtain to help Habakkuk and to help those who hear him and to help us who read him to have a fuller reason to live by our faith, to trust God in troubled times. And the main idea for the rest of the chapter is this, in time God will fully punish evil, all evil. God will punish all evil. That's what I mean to say. In time God will punish all evil. In time, God will punish all evil. Or as uh, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In other words, Habakkuk, the Babylonians will not have the last word. Yes, they are arrogant. Yes, They have a never-ending thirst for power and for land and for destruction. But that thirst is deceitful. And actually, that's where verse 5 picks up. Look at right at verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol like death. He has never enough. 
Now, in the Proverbs, we read this, that, that, that wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, here, uh, Habakkuk picks up on that, God picks up on that same imagery, not of literal wine being consumed, but of the wine as a, a picture of prosperity and of joy and of wealth and the wine flowing, right? The celebration of the Babylonians uh, uh, is accomplished through this revelry. That's what this wine is meant to picture. But that type of celebration is a traitor. Every new nation conquered comes with a promise. Babylonians, you are great. Babylonians, you are powerful. Babylonians, you are invincible. Nothing can overcome you. And it's all a lie. It's a promise destined to be broken. That's why there's no rest. It's why it's an arrogant man who can never rest because it's like greed, you know, that can never quite have enough. How much is enough? Well, a little more. It's like death who always has the next victim in mind. The obituaries will never be empty. And in the same way, no matter how many nations, no matter how many nations they take down, no matter how many nations they swallow up, it's all a lie thinking that it really satisfies, that it's really building you up. They are not invincible because in time, God will punish all evil. That is the only point that I have. All I want to do is emphasize three different parts of that one point this morning. The first being this. In time, God will punish all evil. There is not a question of whether God will punish. And it's, this punishment is laid out in five woes. Woes were a cry of lament at a funeral. It was the cry of a widow in her 20s at her young husband's grave. It's the cry of parents at the graveside of a child. It is filled with angst. It is filled with pain over loss, over death. And here, as God pronounces woe on the Babylonians, he is saying, my verdict is sure you are as good as dead. So we're just going to walk through these to see how God says he will punish all evil. First, those who plunder will be plundered. Those who plunder will be plundered. Now, I'm going to read from the uh, second half of verse 6 uh, through verse 8. I'm going to leave out three words because we're going to come back to them. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. 
As the Babylonians would conquer, they would steal, they would plunder, they would take homes, they would take wives, they would take weapons, they would take land, they would take natural resources. They amassed great wealth for themselves by the means of oppressing others. Even when you read later, which we'll see, when, when, they, plundered, when they plundered Jerusalem in about 50 years, they're going to take out all the treasures of the temple. They're going to take them. They did it all by oppressing others. They did it all by domineering others. They did it all by bloodshed and violence. But you know as well as I do, this is not the only time this has happened in history, right? You think about in the 19th century, after the slave trade was abolished, the colonization of Africa by various European nations. You think of the colonization of India, colonization of India by Britain. Yes, all those people, all those people with those terrible histories. No, 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 wait a second. Let me say three words and see if it rings a bell. Trail of tears. As the Cherokee and the Seminole and the Choctaw were, are, and, and others are forced westward that we might have their land. And God's message to these plunderers, to really all plunderers, but in this text to these plunderers, is that He doesn't miss a single thing that they take. If the, if the people of Judah are in doubt, they just need to go back to the story of Achan, right? To know that God sees every bit of plunder that is taken. He sees it all. He sees everything taken. He takes note and He will repay. The plunderer will be plundered. The next thing we see is that those who try to hide will be found. Look at verse 9 through 11. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Just that verse 9 there. That, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Like a, like a bird who wants to put his nest out of the reach of predators. We want to build something that's so strong, that's so far removed that nobody can ever touch it. The, the palace complex of Nebuchadnezzar had walls that were 136 feet thick. And when he would pray to his god Marduk, he would pray for a secure throne and for a long reign and for abundant prosperity. Why? Because he desperately wanted security, desperately wanted to cling to what he was amassing. He, wanted to, he just didn't want to be found out. He didn't want to be overthrown. He wanted to hide in such a place that nobody would find him. And there is an instinct in all of us, isn't there, to hide If you have more than one child and you wonder who broke the cookie jar or broke the lamp, which one is hiding? That may be the most likely candidate, right? But it is an instinct as old as Adam and Eve to hide, to believe that we can find a place where we are unreachable, to find a place where we are untouchable, to find a place where even though we've sinned, we will not be caught. That's why husbands who gamble away money 
by means of you know, electronic gambling and all these things. They don't want their wives to see the checking account because as long as you don't see it, it's not really happening. That's why children and teenagers are, off, are sometimes reluctant to give up their phone or, or to log in so that parents can rightly you know, follow along and see what's going on and, and read texts and read things. There's a whole set of apps that have been developed just to hide heinous activity on phones. The instinct is to hide. But what this text is saying is that no one can escape guilt. No one can escape the judgment that's to come. He says in verse 11, the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. All 136 feet wide walls, every brick of it, cries out the guilt. You build your house that way, it's not just even the stones will cry out the praise of God, even the stones will cry out the condemnation of man. Even the beams, those lovely beams that everybody loves these days, right? The exposed beams. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar had exposed beams in his house because he was just hip that way. He was way ahead of his time in decor. But even the beams are crying out guilty. Dear friend, you, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide by isolating yourself. You cannot hide within a family that is very godly other than you and just sneak into the picture. You cannot hide in a local church. You cannot hide from God. Those who think they can may fool themselves and everyone else around them. But there is no fooling God. And it's so obvious that this carpet is crying it out right now. The wood and the walls is crying out. Is it crying out your condemnation? Are you hiding? The third thing, the third woe, those who build by evil by means of evil will lose it all. Look at verses 12 to 14. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold it is not from is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing cities we'll get to verse 14 cities are meant to be a testimony of mankind subduing the earth of organizing of working together to glorify God and to care for one another but here cities are built on the foundation of bloodshed the Babylonians aren't building on godliness they're building on bloodiness Men and women and children are dying, but in the end it will come to nothing. That's why this rhetorical question in verse 13, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people 
labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? All the work, all the effort, all the battles, all the bloodshed for building the Babylonian empire will be fuel for the fire of God's wrath. It is like spending hours upon hours upon hours on a beach building a sandcastle only to have the tide come in. It will not stand. You have wearied yourself for nothing. And so verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is not the first time this kind of language has been used. It's used in Numbers 14. It's used in Isaiah 11, both in the context of judgment. And the same is true here. In fact, in uh, uh, Isaiah 11, uh, verse 4 says that when the Messiah comes, he will slay the wicked with his lips. And then just a few verses later, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And God is saying, the city you build will be burned. The kingdom you try to establish will crumble. The empire is but a sand castle under the wake of God's wrath. Those who build by evil, by means of evil, will lose it all. Those who shame others will be shamed. That's the fourth woe. Beginning in verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. When the Babylonians came, they would come in a fit of rage. Their fury would make their enemies quake in their boots. You did not want to face the great and terrible wrath of the Babylonians. They forced their wrath down your throat so that you were drunk with it. Overcome and shamed. And that's what this picture of nakedness is. It is a picture of shame. Verse 17, he says, The violence done to Lebanon, which should, I mean, when you're reading the Bible, you should really say, No, that's surprising. Why didn't it say the violence to Jerusalem? Because that's where everything's going to come to a head. Why the violence to Lebanon? Well, one commentator suggests, and it seems to make sense, Lebanon was a very beautiful place. Beautiful. And essentially, what happened is this nasty, ugly, terrifying wrath comes and steals the beauty right out of the land. The best illustration I can think of here of this wrath that brings overwhelming shame 
is a painful illustration. It is of a man whose fury and wrath are terrifying, and he unleashes it on his family in intimidation and in abuse. Abuse takes something that is beautiful, a family, a bride, children, and drains it of his beauty so that the house feels more like a concentration camp. And it's the ones who suffer. The, it's, it's interesting that the ones who suffer the drunkenness of the wrath of this man are the ones who feel the most shame. For any number of reasons. But the wrath that goes unseen by the world is seen by God. Hebrews 4 says, No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And the individual and the nation that pours out His wrath and drives its victims to shame will be shamed. Verse 16, You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. Men, if you are in this position in your house, you may keep it unseen for years, but it is storing up the wrath of God against you. Turn from it. You see, the great and terrible wrath of the Babylonians is nothing compared to the great and terrible wrath of God, in whose hands the Babylonians are just a tool. So you have this imagery here in verse 16. You'll have your fill of shame, and then the last line is, utter shame will come upon you. It is a disgusting picture. It is a picture of one completely intoxicated. So intoxicated that they have begun to vomit. And they're lying there on the grounds, on the ground, in their own vomit, with no clothes, unconscious. That is the shame that awaits those who shame others. And it will go on forever. There is is nothing that God will not deal with. Dear one, if, if this kind of wrath and abuse is in your past, the bruises may have been unseen, and the perpetrator may be unconvicted. But God sees, and God knows, and no bruise, and no scar, and no wrath, and no shame will go unrepaid. He will punish. He will set things right. He will fully pour out His wrath 
on the evil that was unleashed against you. Cling to him. There is no greater avenger than God in his wrath. And if that is your present, I don't know what it would look like, but, oh, dear friend, reach out. Take courage. Reach out. Get to those who will help you. Get to us. Let us help you. Our reach is limited. We have no sword like the government, but we, will, we are here May we not be like a family that gathers at Thanksgiving and everybody knows what's going on in that marriage. But nobody ever says a thing and nobody ever does a thing and we just keep hoping it'll get better, but it never gets better. Until we're all standing at a graveside. Take courage. Reach out. The last woe is that those who turn to false gods have no hope. It doesn't begin with woe. It begins with a rhetorical question. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. You go back to Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he taunts them, even as here, this is a taunt, he taunts them because he says, Well, maybe, maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe he's in the restroom or something. Maybe that's why he's not coming around. And then Isaiah, one of Habakkuk's contemporaries, writes almost an entire chapter, Isaiah 44, about the insane folly of idolatry, that one would take a tree and make part of it into an idol to bow down to and to worship and use the rest to cook their food, to warm themselves, to build their house. It's insanity to look to anything but God for that which only God can give you. Young women, no man can do that. Young men, no girl can do that. Husbands, your wives can't do it. Wives, your husbands can't do it. Parents, your children can't do it. Your career can't do it. Your bank account can't do it. The good opinions of others cannot do it. Idolatry. And the Babylonians would look to the false god Marduk. Uh, and in the presence of this speechless, breathless idol, this question here in the middle of verse 19, can this teach? The only thing that the speechless and breathless Marduk taught them is, I can do nothing. That's the only thing that statue really teaches. 
I can do nothing. I can do nothing for your soul. I can do nothing for your eternity. I can give you no hope. But you can pretend like I do. And while all the idols of the world are dead and useless and hopeless, verse 20, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Not a reference to the physical temple. The Lord in His holy temple, according to Psalm 11, is the Lord in the heavens. He is in the heavens, His true dwelling place. From from that place He sees, from that place He rules, from that place He will bring judgment. After all of that, after those five woes, please know the wrath of God is not some illusion. The wrath of God is not the threat of a spineless parent who will do nothing. The wrath of God, which we read about here in 50 years later, will happen and then be recorded in a place like 2 Chronicles 36, is only a foretaste of the fullness of God's wrath. Now, you heard all that, right? You heard everything that I just said, that the Bible just said, and that's just a foretaste. What's going to happen to the Babylonians is just a foretaste. Do not laugh or dismiss the wrath of God. Tremble when you think of it. Believer or not, Christian or not, tremble when you think of the wrath of God. You want something that will motivate you to take the gospel to the end of your street? Think much about the wrath of God and the helplessness of man in light of it. That's the first emphasis. That's the biggest There shouldn't be a doubt in your mind that God will punish all evil. Second emphasis, in time, God will punish all evil. In time, God will punish all evil. We take comfort in the fact that God will punish evil, but do you know when we want it? Now. Now. I mean, the first question Habakkuk asked in chapter 1 was, how long? He doesn't... He doesn't know how much more of this he can take. It has to come to an end. It just has to. And that longing, that eagerness for justice comes out in chapter 2, verse 6, which are the words that I skipped over. That in the middle of pronouncing woe, Habakkuk pauses. Look at verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? How long? There is a song by an artist named Andrew Peterson, and he writes a a song called The Reckoning. And the second verse in this, just listen to this. And I know you hear the cries of every soul tonight. You see the teardrops as they roll tonight down the faces of the saints who grow weary and faint in your fields. And the wicked roam the cities and the streets tonight. But when the God of love and thunder speaks tonight... I believe you will come, your justice be done, but how long? How long? How long until this curtain is lifted? How long? 
How long is this the song that we sing? How long until the reckoning? That is the cry here. How long? The woes have made it clear that the Babylonians will get away with nothing, but it kind of seems like they are. How long? Judgment's not going to come for a hundred years, and their judgment on Judah isn't going to come until 50 years from now. So we've got a long way to go. But it will come. And you read about it in Daniel. Because there's another king on the throne named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is having a feast. And everybody's drinking. And Belshazzar decides, you know what we need to do? We need to take a la- another lap around these, uh, these folks in Judah that we already defeated. You know how we'll do that? Go get the golden vessels and let's drink from those. They are just the vessels from which we drink the joy of our own power and our own wealth and our own empire. And so they pull out these vessels and they begin to drink. And when they do, a hand appears and writes a message on the wall, a message of judgment, basically saying, your time is up. You and your kingdom will come crashing down and it will belong to the Medes and the Persians. And that night it happens. For the one who reads the whole of the Scripture, the, the, the promise-keeping of God, whether in salvation or whether in judgment, builds faith. How am I going to live by my faith, God? Well, keep reading. For those who would first hear it, look back and remember, that I brought judgment on the Amorites. Their sin was not yet complete. It took four generations. And then I brought you into the land. Remember that? Remember how judgment was promised to the northern kingdom and that happened? It may not come in my time and it may not come in my way, but dear friend, it will come. God raises up the Babylonians and He uses them for His purpose and then He throws them away like a napkin after dinner. Because He is the sovereign ruler of history and He keeps His promises. He will do so as He pleases in His time and He is always right in how and when He does His work. In time, God will punish evil. So if you are a Christian, walk in faith now. Walk in faith now. Trusting the Lord, in the midst of the evil of this world, in the midst of the evil in your world, He will keep His promise. Justice will be served. And if you are not a Christian, please hear me when I say that God's delay in punishment is not His dismissal of punishment. The fact that you are not suffering in this life is not evidence that there will be no suffering for you. The fact that you don't see these kinds of things unfolding in your life does not mean that they won't. God is great in patience, but it will not be infinite. 
it will come to an end. And you have no clue when his patience will run out. You may be here today and the patience runs out and you are face to face with God tonight. There is no guarantee. Stop piddling around with religion. Stop playing with the Bible. God's wrath is fierce and unending, and you cannot escape it. Whatever the time is, in time, He will punish all evil. Last, in time, God will punish all evil. Look at verse 20. The Lord is in His holy temple. Now I'm going to read it wrongly so that you catch the point. Let all the Babylonians keep silence before Him. That's not what it says. Apparently, this message of judgment on the Babylonians isn't just about the Babylonians. Let all the earth keep silence. The prophecy against the Babylonians guaranteeing their punishment, guarantees, guaranteeing that they will face the wrath of God, is a message for the world. When Job knew he had nothing left to say in his own defense against God, he covered his mouth. In Romans chapter 3, after having brought a final and particular and meticulous case against the entire world which is guilty before God. Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says, let every mouth be stopped. Stop talking. There are no excuses. There is no explanation. There is no getting around it. This is not like talking your way out of a ticket. There's nothing you can say to escape because the whole world, the verse goes on to say, is accountable to God. Let the earth keep silence. The earth needs to hear the certainty of God's wrath against the Babylonians and understand that it's just as certain for every person and every nation. You see in about 539 when that party happens and Belshazzar gets overtaken, 539 B.C. when that happens, the Babylonian Empire is done. But the Babylonian spirit lives on. In such a way that the book of Revelation picks it up and says the, every nation is drunk, drunk with the sins of Babylon. The spirit of rebellion, the spirit of being a law unto yourself, the spirit of exploitation, the spirit of self-promotion by any means necessary, the spirit of idolatry, the spirit of sin, the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of the world, is the spirit of our age. The spirit of every man and woman in one form or another. You see, most people love the idea that God is going to punish evil. 
We love the idea that evil will face the music of justice. But what we don't realize is that the evil isn't just out there somewhere. In all those liberals. Apparently, evil doesn't just reside there. It resides in here. We are a part of the evil in the world that must face the wrath of, the wrath of God. We are sinners, and not one evil deed, no matter how great or how small, will escape the wrath of God. Not one. Every bit of evil in the universe must and will be punished. And if in time God will punish all evil, then is there any hope? It sure hadn't sounded like it. The Bible's answer is yes. But our hope is not that our evil will go unpunished. That somehow it'll just be swept under the rug. Our hope is in a Savior who was punished for our evil. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, meaning He fully satisfied the wrath of God in our place. Jesus, all my trust is in Your blood. Jesus, You've rescued us through Your great love. You see, to be very, very particular about words, you and I do not escape the wrath of God. To escape means I'm getting out. You and I are rescued from the wrath of God. We would never get out except that Jesus came and took our place and brought us out. And all who turn to Him by faith will be saved. In time, dear friends, God will punish all evil. He will either punish our evil in us for all eternity or through faith in Jesus our evil has been fully punished on the cross and we are released from that sentence. The question is which is it for you? Will you turn to Jesus? to rescue you by His great love, trusting in Him alone. I want us to just take a moment to reflect on that, and then I will pray, and I'm just going to read one passage and we'll be dismissed. So take a moment right where you're at, reflect on that.
Most holy and righteous Father, we bow before you, trembling in our souls at your great and terrible wrath, knowing that we deserve it fully and forever. Your wrath reveals your glorious holiness, your glorious righteousness your justice and we do thank you that in time you will punish all evil trembling in the face of your wrath we give you thanks that our evil has been punished in Jesus and not just some of it all of it for those who trust in him I pray, Lord, for us who are trusting in Jesus that this reality will cause rejoicing in us. That we will never live as if sin is no big deal because sin is what incurs wrath. I pray that the reality of your wrath will motivate us to take the gospel, to be bold, to be courageous, to be compassionate in a world that is destined for your wrath. We pray that many, through our gospel witness to the end of the street, will come to faith in Jesus and be saved from the wrath to come. We pray that you'll give us courage to to not fear man more than we fear you in our gospel sharing, to not fear what others may think of the truth of your wrath against sin. I pray for those who are here who do not know you, who even now your word would say are under your wrath. Rescue them. Awaken their heart and mind to the reality of sin and the beauty of our Savior and the necessity of repentance and faith in Him. Save them, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3. Some will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And later Peter answers that question. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Christian, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. 
But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot and blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions, as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.